Welcome to the Washdown Podcast. And tonight's guests, um, we have a returning guest, Rich Karasi. Um, also, John Sabala. And John is the director of veteran services for the Missouri Department of Mental Health. Uh, he is responsible for statewide policy and program development, implementation, and operation of supportive service for service members, family, veterans, and their families. Um, he's also the co-lead for the Governor's Challenge to Prevent Suicide among um, veterans and is a certified peer specialist and retired U.S. Army infantryman with 22 years of service, including deployments um, to Operation Desert Storm, Kosovo, Operation Iraqi Freedom, and Operation New Dawn. Um, we had a great conversation, learned a ton of stuff, learned about resources and programs that uh, he is involved with. So hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Hope you get something out of it. Um, like and subscribe, all that good stuff. I'm going to put some links in the description. Um, so check those out. Um, yeah. So here you go, the Washdown Podcast with guests John Sabala and Rich Karasi. Um, you know he's kind of used to that, but uh, been but, known to let it go once in a while. But, sure, but down <laughs> down in Jefferson City, uh, let me tell you. Well, we just uh, we'll keep it PG thirteen. Yeah, for as much as we can talking those, about the, those people. These topics. Who, those people who get pissed off about anything, whether there's anything to get pissed <laughs> off about. Or not? Well, you know, I think it's uh, it's about optics. So, and, and we deal with the same thing with our fire department. If we have to be very cognizant of, you know, yeah, we have free speech, First Amendment, and all that stuff. But at the same time, we also have a media policy and all that stuff. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we take pretty good pains to, uh, one, not say what department we work for, and two not to say anything directly about our department. Yeah. We speak as the fire service in general, mm-hmm. things that, you know, we see problems and stuff and just try to raise awareness that way instead of going, well, our department has this problem. Well, yeah, that's whenever you start to get in trouble. So without a doubt. And you're also looking at, uh, from the other side of this too, is thinking about how can we reach larger, larger audience? What are some things that will shut people down when watching something? Exactly. And so, Part of the language piece is some of that, or if you yeah. only focus on one thing, one unit, one agency, yeah, it can tune people out too. So, oh, absolutely, and it's it's like you said, it's presentation of your message, yeah. Because I mean, we've all seen, you know, things of people protesting or this or that, and okay, I agree with like the sentiment or the message or whatever. Just the way you're delivering that message is 100 percent wrong, yeah. And you're turning, and it doesn't matter what you say. After that. Yeah. Yeah. And it may be passion filled without a doubt. Yeah. You know, and maybe different upbringings. You don't have enough ways to communicate what you want to communicate. But um, I get it. I like to see passion, too. So, yeah. Well, John, thanks for coming on the show. Um, Appreciate it. Rich, thanks for coming back. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. No problem. So, John, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and tell us what you do and why you are here. Yeah, great. So first of all, thanks again for using this platform to talk about suicide prevention. I I love what you do here. This is great. And I'm glad uh, that you were letting us come up here to talk about this today. Um, John Sabala, Veteran Services Director at the Missouri Departmental Health. Kind of a one-person show over there. Is anything military connected <laughs> in the building? 
Uh, hopefully I have a piece of that. Uh, I really focus a lot of time on identifying gaps and barriers across the state to meet our behavioral health needs and suicide prevention needs for the military community, and then develop programs, policies, you know, what I can do to, to help bridge those things um, so that everyone has services. And that's really important. Uh, yeah, that's hugely important. And I'm, I'm a little bit surprised to hear you're a one-man department. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's a lot, but I'm an old infantry first sergeant. and uh, Oh, well, then you just get yeah, it done. Then. I just, <laughs> I grab things and say, let's go and start running. So, so do you work closely with the VA then, or is it? Great question. And often when I say I'm veteran services director, people mm-hmm. say, oh, the VA this. And I'm like, stop the bus. Yeah. Yeah, I am uh, work for the Missouri Departmental Health, but I do have partnerships and do some programs at times with the VA system. Okay. And in the work that I do, I don't necessarily just promote coming to Departmental Health's contract providers for services and programs. I, I want people to have choices. Right. We were just talking about that a second ago, choices. So some people love the VA system. I've used the VA system. That's great. They got a lot of good stuff going on there. Uh, but some people want choices. There are times in my life where the treatment I did uh, was not in VA Connect, and I didn't want to be near the flagpole. So that's another piece of it, too, having choices. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the thing that I've kind of – it's kind of opened my eyes of doing this podcast and talking to the amount of people that we've talked to about, you know, how different organizations have – different treatment protocols and plans and you can't get everything in one spot you know there's no one-stop shop so to speak as far as mental health goes and especially for veterans who you know may be suffering from a tbi from a blast injury or ptsd or you know whatever it may be and i mean that varies even from va to va from my knowledge of what this va will approve and what this one won't and you know, to have you as a state-run entity to be able to offer even more options. Right. I mean, I I don't see that as a bad thing. You know, without a <laughs> doubt. You know, it's needed. And, you know, part of my um, – I did say I was an infantry first sergeant, and, and along my career, I did have some troubles with PTSD. Uh, I lost some troops in Iraq, kind of took it a little hard. Um, wasn't yeah. a good feeling, and so I ended up uh, going to treatment, and I tried some with VA Connection, but the most of what I did was outside the VA. I did not want to be with a counselor that was military-connected. I went, I just wanted to push away from it for a while, get some care, and yeah. uh, ended up working out for me, but again, it's just the choices. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Some people they want that military connection or they want that, like we talk about cultural competency, you know, of somebody who understands now, not necessarily that they've done the job or whatever, but that they understand it and and they understand the, the lifestyle and the, all of the things that are attached to it. But then like you, there are people who are like, I'm done with that portion. I don't want anything to do with it. I need to heal in a different way. Exactly. So, Without a doubt. And I'm not glad you said culturally competent, you know, treatment, because some people truly want that. I will only talk to a veteran. I know a lot of Vietnam veterans really prefer talking with fellow veterans, and that's great. Yeah. And having those options is great. You know, but there are some people that do not have a good experience in military. Yeah. And they just want to disconnect from it. Or they may be a little bit embarrassed at times. You know, maybe things didn't work out like they wanted to. And you know what? I don't want to really tell people I'm a veteran. 
So maybe I'll just go somewhere else instead. It's yeah. like choices and options always needed. Yeah. Hey, John, you touched on something a few moments ago that uh, brought up a memory of, I forget how long ago it was, and this is very, I found it very interesting. You gave some testimony before the, uh, uh, before the, uh, oh, let me get my. It, it was get, a house interim house, hearing on house, veterans, on veterans have health and, and suicide. Yeah. And, uh, the uh, it seems like the members who were sitting there were surprised when you just some said, hey, "Ladies and gentlemen, I'm an army of one." Within the within the Missouri government, uh, there are I forget John what twenty one or twenty two programs that you administer. I forget how many sixteen that I manage, 16. but I do stay connected with other programming as and, well. And, sure, and, and and I, having worked with you for a number of years, knew. That you were that you were that deeply involved. I didn't know the number was that high, uh, and the, the the I guess it was the lead, uh, uh, the senior member, the ranking member, who was kind of orchestrating everything. When you said that, his head his head snapped back and said, "Can I have that again?" You know, and you kind of said it. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll say that again. He says, "I want to talk to you when this is all over." Um, since then, however. I've noticed, and maybe you can address this, I, I think it's one of the topics that we're going to talk about, is that some of the programs have, have either either grown or they've or they've combined, like the, gover- the governor's campaign. Hey, Rich, stay in front of your mic. I'm sorry, yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jeremy. Turn your eyes, not your head. Yeah, you. That's turn, right, my, like turn, my, turn my eyes, not my head. Um, but uh, the, the governor's campaign and some of the other things that, that, that the team has done and some of the other things you've asked us to do, um, I think it'd be wise to kind of speak to those to how right. how what the what that momentum is. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. You know, I I don't know where we're going to go with this thing, but uh, I don't want to bounce around too much. But we no, can. It's brother. fine. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, the work I do, even though it's a lot of programs, um, I like to think I'm pretty efficient. I got some good project management skills, so I can keep it going. And I don't do anything alone. You know, just like still being in the military, I never do things alone. I have a lot of project partners that I work with. Uh, other teams, other people uh, across the state and federally. And so I don't, I'm not worried about having so many programs and projects, but there are times, yes, where I cannot spend as much energy as I need to to make them more successful and more robust. So whenever I do have new projects, new initiatives, uh, other things that pop up across the state, I make sure to tie in what's already existing. I don't want, I don't have a budget. Uh, I have a little bit of E&E money, um, to pay for, you know, a rental car to take me somewhere or per diem, which I don't think I really submit paperwork for <laughs> because I'm going to eat wherever I go anyways. Uh, but uh, I don't have money. I don't have a budget. And so I rely on other people's grants. When they're writing a grant, I'm saying, hey, how do you do this with the military too? And we partner together and I use that type of grant funding. Um, but what is out there already is a lot of existing programs. And Mm -hmm. I try and make sure we inject those into the work we do. Why create something new if it's already out there? Uh, Exactly. Yeah. And there are a ton of programs that are out there that people just don't know about. Exactly. And, I mean, that goes all the way from nonprofits to state-funded things. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it can kind of blow your mind of, well, hey, we need these resources. Well, we have this whole smorgasbord of resources that no one's using. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, do we need to do commercials for them or like, 
How do we let everybody know? And, you know, I yeah. do this all the time when I talk to people about different, oh, John, I've never heard about this. I, well, we've been broadcasting it. We've been promoting it. It's been everywhere. And I'm sorry you don't know about it, but it's yeah. we've been doing this for years. And how do you reach everybody and, and their circles and their spheres of influence and their networks? It's hard to do, without yeah. a doubt. Uh, and maybe if I started, you know, working on more funding, I could do more more ways to broadcast it. So I just, again, I connect everything that I can to different initiatives and projects and programs. And if they're not specifically for the military, then why not? You yeah. know, and let's work on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, one idea is social media. Um, I don't know how involved you are with that, but I mean, it seems like you need a, you need something to start gaining traction with it. Yeah. Like almost like you have to go viral for people to start paying attention to you. Like and maybe do podcasts. Yeah. Do a yeah. podcast. Well, I, millions I, of people are watching. <laughs> millions. Hey, millions. People. Tens and tens of viewers. Uh, that tens we have. and tens of <laughs> Well, it's a great point yeah. about social media. It's a great platform to do, but not everyone does it. And I tell yeah. you, you know, with, with half the veteran population being over 55, and that's just a rough guess. I haven't looked in a few years. You know, the, they're not big fans of it. And, um, it's yeah, tough. there's a, tough. well, there's a, I think there's a general distrust for anything like that. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm one of those people for sure. I mean, and you might think that's odd since I have a podcast and I post on Instagram and we have a Facebook page and all that stuff, but like the whole social media thing for me, I think it can be very, very valuable and a great tool and a great tool to reach people and show support and that type of thing. But I think ultimately it gets misused quite a bit, probably even more so than it gets used in the right way. And I think that's what turns a lot of people off with it. And you say the right way, but you know, everyone uses it as they want to use it without a doubt. Right. You know, I, I, but the way that I use it is the only way to use it. And it's the correct (laughs) way. So, and I just got my, (laughs) 80-year-old Vietnam veteran uh, father to start an account so we can stay in touch, Uh, which is, I worry that he's been isolated lately. My mother passed away about a year ago, and so he really is uh, alone. And there's a Vietnam veteran all by himself and uh, living far away from us. But he finally got on social media, got him a Facebook account. Now we're sharing pictures. My kids are sharing pictures with him. Nice. And that's stuff we couldn't do in the past. So yeah. there's pros and cons without a doubt. Yeah. Hey, I John, wanna... John, can you tell, excuse me for a second, Jeremy, can you tell or are you keeping any stats on when uh, when you post the Buddy 22, for example, or you post a, uh, a Missouri Veteran Suicide Prevention Team uh, post or one of the governor's challenges, the, 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 any way you're, you're, you're tracking how many hits or how many shares you're getting? Because I know when, when I see one, I share it all over the place. Um, but uh, uh, it seems that you've done, you and your team have done more of that lately. Uh, and uh, I notice it, and I just share the daylight side of it. So are we getting any traction there? You know, there are times. That's the institutional yeah. we, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. I know you're not French. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I do know uh, we do have analytics uh, that are built into the social media platforms, without a doubt. And sometimes the, they hit, and sometimes they're shared, and people love them. Um, other times not. And there are times where I have to monitor a little bit closer because people, you know, my TikTok account is this and a reply when we're talking about preventing suicide. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of that does happen. And sometimes they hit, sometimes they flop. Sometimes 
things I think are going to do great information about, you know, X, Y, or Z yeah, with yeah. depression or something like that. Yeah. Depression yep. screening tools. And sometimes they just don't pop. And, yeah. I, and it, I, every year I do have to go back through my social media and I, I look at the hits, I look at the shares and I, I make adjustments for next year, you know, yeah. what's working, what's not. And, it, and I thought it was odd that the videos about uh, people sharing their stories don't really gain a lot of traction, which I thought was really interesting in this field of mental health, substance use, and suicide prevention. Yeah. So that's something I want to explore a little bit more this year. I'm reaching out to a couple of team members uh, saying, hey, can we share some of our some of our stories about trainers, being trainers in suicide prevention, and then our experiences, and what are we encountering, and what is the feedback we're getting? I want to try and create a little bit of something there and start sharing that, see if that works. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you say that we've had the same experience on the podcast of, you know, we've had guests on who have millions and millions of followers and we're like, all right, this one is going to be great. We're going to, you know, it's going to have a ton of views. Those are some of the worst episodes that we've had as far as viewership goes. Yeah. Not, not the conversation. Conversation was great, but I mean, you're getting... And, you know, half or less. And it may be the topic of suicide, which is, you know, really why we came here today. It's the suicide scares the heck out of people. Absolutely. It is a scary topic. We can't see it like a broken arm. Yeah. And even if we train somebody to identify someone that might be at risk and they ask the question of suicide, what if that person says yes? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, that goes back to the uh, being intentional and, you know, the old walking down the hall conversation of, hey, how you doing? And just keep walking. Right. Right. It means you have to be invested and you have to have an actual conversation. And that scares people of really communicating. I can see that. And, and also not really understanding a lot about suicide. Yeah. You know, you're or gonna, mental you're health gonna, in general. And this this could be something that could mean someone's life. So yeah. I'm supposed to engage with someone right now. And that's that's challenging. And there's a lot of tools out there to help educate people and inform them how to do that. And that's really part of the programs that we have here. It's uh, the Missouri Veterans Suicide Prevention Team, which Rich is part of, uh, is a great tool. Uh, Military-connected certified trainers and what's called QPR gatekeeper training. Uh, question persuade refer is what the QPR stands for. Mm -hmm. uh, three simple steps people can do to help save a life. Uh, similar to the Heimlich maneuver and things like that in CPR, uh, which has been saving millions of lives uh, all over the globe, uh, QPR can do this uh, when it comes to suicide, suicidal crisis. Um, so, Rich, you want to talk a little bit about QPR, my friend? Yeah, terrific. It's it's. Um, I have found that over the years, I've been doing this for about four years or so, right? It was April 2019, John, that you put the first uh, the first cohort of us together. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's it's gone up and down because of COVID was one thing. We, we were doing them virtually for a while. Those work. We, we prefer to do them live because of the interaction that we can get. Mm -hmm. um, the methodology, as John said, is quite, uh, is quite simple. The first step is to question. Uh, and I have found that that's the most well, of course, every, everything begins with the first step, but, but it's also we spend, when we do the training, we spend a lot of time on question uh, because the, the, the subtleties are so, I'm going to contradict myself, the subtleties are so profound, listen to me, um, but the, 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 the techniques are so important 
um, and the, the way to get the person to, to, to open up and to communicate and to, uh, and to recognize the value of the interaction, um, that, that gets the whole process started. So when I pitch it, and I've pitched it numerous times to numerous audiences, I've uh, I spend a, a lot of time on question. I don't shortchange that portion of the uh, of the presentation at all. Um, in fact, uh, interestingly enough, Jeremy, uh, when we started this about four years ago, Rachel found some things that QPR was using in the language that tended to be stigmatizing, mm-hmm. and the community had moved beyond that and Rachel through her counseling services had realized that the community had moved a little bit beyond that language for example mm-hmm. commit suicide I'll just use the obvious example yeah. you know commit suicide you commit murder you commit a sin you know why is that word commit can be stigmatizing why is that used mm-hmm. and so Rachel found about oh I guess about a dozen or so phrases that were getting in our way and reached back to the QPR, and this is a methodology that's been, the Quinettes have been around for, you know, forever, about 20 years or so doing this, and actually wrote back to QPR and said, hey, folks, can we discuss this? And they opened up to her and actually accepted it and, and modified some of the presentations to reflect that uh, language. The point that I made, well, congratulations to Rachel, who I, you know, I can, she's, she's brilliant. We've worked together for a number of years. Um, but uh, it took courage to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it 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 also took some insight on QPR's uh, part to say, yeah, we accept that this is a field input. Mm-hmm. Okay, Th- these are real people out there. Okay, who are working in this every day. Yeah, who've given us this feedback to let's let's calm it down a little bit and and let's talk to people from here. Okay, to to bring them into the problem rather than alienate them. Right. I think that's made a big that's made a big difference. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to adapt with the times. And, and uh, if you have a program that's like, no, this is the way that it is, this is yeah. what we're doing, and then they don't adapt with things, I mean, it's not going to be successful. And, I mean, that's a mark of leadership of being able to go, okay, yeah, all right, and, these and, are changes that need to be made. And, and, and let's and, just make them. And God bless them. I mean, the 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 the, the program is peer reviewed. It's uh, uh, it's uh, it's nationally certified uh, by the uh, uh, by the National Association of Standards and Measures, and then the uh, uh, and then SAMHSA uh, has uh, has has peer reviewed it. And it's an evidence based program. It's copyrighted, so there's a lot of protection there. Mm-hmm. Yet they were open enough to communicate with us, you know, Rachel, in specific, to, uh, to to modify it to get it to the point where we're talking about. It makes it easier, um, not in the cheap sense of easy, but makes it more more pallid, more comfortable, to enter into the discussion with with terms that are not dividing, the terms that tend to bring you more uh, terms that bring you more together. So I've gotten a little bit off the topic, but uh, as I <laughs> tend to do, uh, but the uh, uh, I'm spending a lot of time on question because to me that's very that's everything can spin from that. If you mm-hmm. if you've got your audience or your your, your cohort that you're training, uh, and if you've got them with you on getting through the question part of QPR, then the persuade and the refer uh, just kind of flow naturally. Um, uh, Rich, let me take a step back, buddy. I'm sorry. Please do. We, um, at the start of the course, we spend a lot of time also educating people on 
the, the severity of uh, the impact suicide is having oh, yes. on the community. Right. So we give them a lot of stats. We give them some data. Right. And then we also teach them how to recognize the warning signs and clues of uh, suicide. Um, we make sure to spend some time on that. And we're talking about uh, direct and indirect uh, verbal clues, uh, behavioral clues, situational clues, um, things that um, so they could recognize it. And then we dive deep into the, the cue, the question, how to ask the question of suicide. We give them a couple different approaches and, the, and you know, the importance of doing it and how to do it. At the end of the day, it's going to be on the rescuer, um, how they feel comfortable with doing it, whether it's direct, indirect, you know, how to approach it. Right. Um, so after the, cue, after the cue comes P. Yeah, the P. And then uh, the whole thing there is... Are you willing to accept the responsibility? What can I do? What can we do together? Uh, and what are you willing to do to, to address this, to get you out of this crisis? Um, are you willing to, uh, uh, number one, do you recognize it? Number one, do you accept it? Do you own it? Um, and then what are you willing to do to, 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 get some, to get some help? Okay. May I go with you if you'd like me to? Um, can we walk that path together? I'm willing to do that. I can't do it for you, but I'll be happy to do it with you. Um, and then, well, I'm a little uncomfortable. With, well, okay. Uh, can I get a, a promise or a commitment from you, a handshake, if you will, so that you'll do it yourself, and I'll check back with you? Okay. You need a week. You need 10 days, overnight, whatever it is, and I'll check back with you. And, and reinforce reinforce that uh, with you. Uh, and that's when you get into the refer piece. Uh, of the three pieces, I always find that the most difficult. And the reason I find that the most difficult is some folks want, and John, you can address this if you want, some folks want answers right there. Mm -hmm. In other words, give me seven places I can go. Mm -hmm. Okay? Give me the best one. Okay? Is this organization better than that one? And that's where we have to be very careful not to endorse or non-endorse or criticize or, or compliment any one uh, agency uh, more than another. We, we, we have resource lists. Uh, we have referral lists. We have websites and all that stuff that we can – some of it's up on the – up on the Missouri Veterans Suicide Prevention website, some of it's up on the governor's website. I mean, but rather than Rich, you tell me the one place I can go to get it. Right. I, I always have. We always have to be very careful doing that. Well, that goes back to what you said earlier, it's John, choices. about choices. Right. And this one place may work for you, but this other person may go there and have a completely different experience. That's correct. So yeah, yeah I totally get. And that. this is changing some now because now we have the nine eight eight crisis line. Um, which is really a game changer for us in our state. So um, I would feel more comfortable these days giving out the 988, out the 988 right. and then um, also a VA resource if they would like one as well. Okay. Uh, I know the 988 Veterans Press 1 will still get you to the crisis line in New York, and it can send you down. But there's some discussion about that, too, at the end of the day. Is, uh, they, have, they can't reach the mobile crisis teams that we're going to have available in our state as easily as we can do. But we can chat about that. Uh, that's a good discussion to have as well. But he did talk about uh, the question. He did talk about persuade. One thing I would say about persuade, too, is uh, this is where we teach people how to get someone to agree to, agree. to get help. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is where it's a big challenge for people because this is where you have to listen. And 
it is challenging for people to listen these days. I think more people listen to reply mm-hmm. than listen to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. I'm sorry. What was that you said? That? <laughs> so this is a tough part, and, and we make sure to stress that during the training too. You know, this is where you listen. You listen because I tell you what: when someone's experiencing suicidal crisis, and someone stops and looks at them and says, "Hey, are you thinking about suicide?" It really cuts through them. It cuts through that darkness. They feel alone, and all of a sudden, it's like, hey, someone sees me in pain. Someone sees me hurting. Someone sees me not doing well. And it can do a couple of things. They might need some time to, to think before they start talking, or that the floodgates might open. I've done this a couple of times with people. Typically, the floodgates open, and they start sharing with me all the problems that they think suicide will solve. Um, and that happens. But this is where you listen in the P. And you can ask some questions to confirm, you know, what do you mean my, your wife's not there? What do you mean, you know, you you can ask some clarifying questions like that, but really this is where you listen. And at the end of the day in P, we teach people how to get them to say, yes, yes, I want some help. Yes, I want to, I don't want to die. And that's a beautiful part about this training. And, 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 and John just again hit on something and, and, uh, there's a common myth out there and up at the front end of the things that we do, we talk about myths and, and truths and, uh, and there's all kinds of myths and truths, but perhaps the, 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 the overwhelming myth is that if you talk to someone about suicide, that you're going to drive them to it. Right. And, and that's not a myth. That's a hundred percent factual. Yes, absolutely. No. Yeah. And <laughs> sarcasm, yeah, people. Sarcasm. sarcasm. And that's an absolute myth because remember, especially this program, as well as some others, uh, there are a number of suicide prevention programs and methodologies out there, but we, we know that this one's evidence-based. So uh, the QPR is evidence-based. The exact opposite is true. And it happens up front by the mere fact that you're asking that question and then it can happen later in the persuade phase of the of the training or, or of the interaction that now you've got the person past that initial you know crisis now you're down and talking about how are we going to get some help okay are you committed to getting some help and then the person will open up again and say you really you really know what I'm talking about don't you 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 you're you're with me here you've listened to me well yeah we have yeah we have so what can we do to what can we do to 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 keep get you out of this crisis and then keep you out of the crisis um it's it's not gonna it's not gonna cause somebody to go out and you know grab the gun or grab the knife i'm sorry go out and grab the gun or grab the knife and 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 do themselves in it's proven to do the exact opposite well that's i think one of the the big misunderstandings misconceptions um about suicide and suicide ideology and all of that stuff it's and this is my own personal experience and all of that it's when you reach a place where you feel 100 percent alone nobody understands nobody gets it and you're 100 percent by yourself if you have somebody asking you questions and talking to you, it, like you said, it cuts through. It cuts through it. And, okay, well, I'm not alone. And that's the big thing that we've struggled with, you know, with PTSD and 
all these other things in the fire service of that's one of the things that your brain will tell you is you're the only one who's ever felt this way. Nobody else feels this way. You're just weak. Blah, blah, and it, you know, you go down that little path. Right. Jeremy. And that's what we're trying to avoid and trying to, you know, shed some light on is you're not alone. I mean, this is more common than it's not of, you know, people feel, sad they feel whatever it's normal yeah i love that i love that you're saying that jeremy i don't hear that too often so Mm. uh, i do love it you know what the again the beauty of that training is that it teaches people to do this to have that engagement to recognize it engage with that person and offer them hope and that's why we're passionate about the Missouri Veteran Suicide Prevention Team and get more and more people trained. You know, the more people that are trained in this, uh, the greater chances are we can save lives. Right. And it doesn't just pertain to military people. My trainers are military connected, sure, because, you know, our institutions are filled with grumpy old veterans and it's hard to <laughs> get in there. That's right. I am too. And that's why I love. That's why I thought about this, this program is like, you know, let's have military connected people in there so we can go into these organizations. We can go into my veterans of foreign wars post, American Legion post, EAVs, or other people that support the military community. And let's provide this training. I'm a veteran here. I want to help prevent suicide and save lives. Yeah. Let's work on it. Yeah. And that's what really sparked this idea of having Missouri Veteran Suicide Prevention and, Team. And John, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point. It started out... Uh, and maybe this is my own perception of it, uh, but it started out back, you know, four years ago um, as you know, veterans aimed at veterans. But as I began training and getting out in the communities, veterans live everywhere. Mm-hmm. And veterans are a part of every community, be it faith-based, faith-based uh, organizational, uh, uh, even corporate, you name it. Um, the the amount of folks that come in contact with veterans, and so if you're going to evangelize this and 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 spread the training around, uh, we shouldn't just be restricting it to veterans. I'm asked that question a lot. Hey, Rich, I can't get 25 veterans there. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Okay, members of the community who come in contact with veterans, who can recognize when a veteran or someone connected with that veteran is entering a crisis and are willing to step up and help and offer hope, you know, as John said. So my portfolio, especially over the past year, once we came out of COVID a little bit, I mean, I've been working with libraries, with the Mid-Continent Public Library System, um, with uh, uh, even with our uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Archdiocese uh, or the Diocese of Kansas City St. Joseph and Catholic Charities Kansas City St. Joseph has just started a program of what they call um, uh, mental health ministry within the within the parish, within the parishes. And one of the programs that's one of their coordinators came up with, they said, what's this QPR thing? Okay, in terms of suicide prevention. And so our deacon at my church said, hey, Rich, who's also trained, by the way, Chuck, uh, hey, Rich, you know, we can... We can help them figure this out, uh, and so we're working on that. Not that the not that the the QPR is the centerpiece of that whole ministry, but it's a component of it. it can be a component of it. So the, the the point I'm making here is that it spreads mm-hmm. well beyond. 
It's ripples on a pond. It's, it's yeah. ripples. Thank you, Jeremy. And and it, it it spreads out. And once it once it does, and people latch onto it, they say, "Well, this is a good thing. We can save lives." Uh, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't cost a dime. Uh, you know, he doesn't have any money, neither do we. Uh, and uh, although I, I, I call myself Sabala North, you know, John, what do you want me to do today? Um, but and I always do it. Um, but the, uh, uh, you know, hey, Rich, you know, we we got we got some some training to do over in Gower someplace or over in Odessa somewhere. You know, Tony can't get there. Can you do? Yeah, no problem. And so you jump in the car, go to Odessa, grab yourself a couple of hamburgers, you know, when it's when it's all over. And, and you know, you've you've trained 20 or 30 people in a in a um, in a what's that the uh, caregivers on the home front is one yep, of them. You bet. And, uh, uh, we've done all of those uh, uh, groups um, who you don't normally traditionally think of, of, uh, you know, as your three letter veterans organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh and you spread that spread that word out, and uh, and there's been uh, in fact it was a repeat. He did a repeat one with that group uh, about a week or so ago. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike. I keep I keep looking at the. You do, buddy, and I <laughs> love you for it. I love you for it. You're doing great. Things. What have I done now? I've no, been... you just keep looking away keep from the looking... mic. Well, that's John. John, because you're John. You know why, John? It's okay. It's because you know you are El Jefe when it comes to this group, and and your approval is so important. No, you're doing good. I mean, man. you know, you're, you're doing you're, good. You're in. Endorsement is so important to me. So well, I, let me let me roll it back a second though, because we did talk about the QPR itself, which right. was important. I want to make sure people understood a little bit about what the training is. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not military specific, but nope. there are some military specific things we've added to our module. Mm-hmm. But it's it's you could take it to the baseball field and use it with youth. You can right. you know whatever situation you're in. Uh, so we encourage people to look it up and train, but. When we do the, once we finish the referral piece, how to refer somebody, how to take the lead and get them to assistance, uh, we also do a little role playing. And the role playing, there's a script there. Um, and we say, you know, you're the person that's in crisis, you're the rescuer. Sometimes we pair them up. Sometimes, with, uh, given the situation, we might have to just do a group up front to do it for the team, but I try and pair people up. And then the trainers walk around as they're giving them five or 10 minutes to role play this. And the script has certain scenario and it has certain things that they have to say, you know, the, the buzzwords, uh, mm-hmm. the big clues that stand out. Yeah. And I would tell you, I think it really gives people the confidence coming out of that training, having that role playing example. And we talk about it a little bit afterwards too. And there are times where I've had people get up and leave and yep. have to go out in the hallway because their connection to suicide is still pretty close and still pretty raw. Yeah. And then there are times where um, you hear a lot of laughing and giggling and stuff like that. So I'll stop when we're all done and say, hey, okay, how was that? Oh, that was great, easy. You know, a lot of nervous laughter going on. How long did it take you to ask the question about suicide? And some actually didn't ask in this training environment. Because even though it's a safe, secure place to do this in, yeah. it is a scary thing a scary to time, ask. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, I think the role-playing piece that we offer at the end of this is really beneficial um, to the team and helps reinforce everybody that's getting this training and gives them the confidence to go out and help save a life, which is, which is really what we want. Yeah. So as far as the veterans that you have doing this stuff and the demographic, what's the, or do you even have the, the number of the demographic that seems to have bought in the most that has the best buy-in? Is it the older Vietnam guys or is it the, 
you know, Desert Storm guys or okay. is it the GWAT guys? Okay, so you have found the chink in my armor <laughs> with all the programs I'm doing. I'm so terrible at grabbing information like that. So what I do grab is just a headcount okay. and the organization that's hosting it. Okay. And I would tell you the vast majority of the organizations hosting it tend to be the uh, American legions or veterans of foreign wars, typically followed next to faith-based organizations. Those are probably the top three that are really grabbing this. And every time we pitch this, and when, every time I go to a veteran organization, I say, hey, uh, too many veterans are dying by suicide. If you don't know someone that died by suicide that's a veteran, you probably have heard of a youth dying in your neighborhood, in your community, in your church somewhere that has attempted suicide or died by suicide. And so it's important you train them, everybody. Why don't you host it? And by the way, even though you're a veteran organization, open the doors and make it part of your community service. Mm -hmm. All these veteran organizations are tasked with supporting their community, not just the veterans and their families. So make this community uh, service. And I'm so fortunate. Uh, my post, uh, VFW1003 out of Jeff City, they are my guinea pigs. <laughs> they have embraced the work that I do. They've mm-hmm. asked me so many times, and every time I start a program, I launch it with them. They were one of the first places I trained in QPR. We started scheduling training multiple times a year, and now we're doing these uh, lunch and learns uh, to where they have enough funds to buy lunches for people that sign up to go to this course and they open the doors and we got general public coming in, uh, to learn how to prevent suicide. So it can grow to this. I'd love it. I love it. And it can grow to this and it's something we promote. So, you know, again, it's not just for military. Uh, the trainers are military connected. They're either service members like national guard. They are veterans, uh, military connected family members. Um, and we've even had, your rock star of a wife uh, that was a trainer for a while. And she, because she had the great background of clinical and she works in an organization that supports military connected people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we thought she'd be a great fit. And she was one of our best trainers. If she ever decides to come back, <laughs> I will be more than happy, but I'll contain it. So she didn't get too excited. Uh, about it. Yeah. Yeah. I know she's a busy person, but a great trainer. Yeah, she is. Uh, she's pretty good at what she does. Just yeah. to put it mildly. So you know, there's the, the, the an interesting story. I may have told you this one before. Is um, and it gets back to a topic we were talking about earlier. I when I got interested in this, and and even before the suicide prevention team was uh, was founded. Oh, this has got to be six, seven years ago, if not longer. Um. I remember we were in the old church over at St. James, and I asked the pastor, I said, Hey, Father, after each Mass, would it be okay if I gave like a three-minute pitch on veteran suicide and suicide prevention and what we can do? This is before I knew about QPR. I mean, I was working out of a working out of a book of my own, having had uh, uh, an interest, if not an experience, with suicide myself, having lost a son some years ago to suicide. And I said, this is important. I said, we have veterans in this parish. I said, we can kind of get ahead of this because there's a wave coming. Uh, a little stat, right, John? Or, or is Missouri still number one in terms of veteran suicide? Uh, no, we're actually down. We're actually down a lot. We're probably, uh, last time I looked, we were about 16th in the nation. That's 16th in the nation 16th overall. In the nation. But... Yeah, so that's that's the number I'm kind of sticking with for now. But okay, it is but going was... down. It's been on a little bit of decline lately. 
which is good. It's a good thing. There's still a lot more work to do. A lot more work to yeah. do. But get, getting back to my story, I, I so after each Mass that Sunday, uh, I gave a quick pitch. And in the back of church, I had a little poster set up. I had a little video going. Okay, pamphlets ready. And I'm telling you, folks, I'd known in that parish for years, just walked out and just could not look me in the eye. Could not, It's like I had leprosy, God forbid, or something. You know, I mean... It, Wait a minute, folks. I'm here giving out. Inf- no, I mean I'm telling you, people who I'd sung in the choir with. I mean, it was amazing. So I'm going to give you a little insight into and, human nature. And then, oh yeah, you don't have. <laughs> but then, then I think it was the 11 o'clock mass Sunday morning. All of a sudden, this blonde-haired girl <laughs> runs up to me and starts talking at 150 miles an hour. You know, I'm Rachel Willoughby. Pa, 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 and I want you to know about horses and heroes, and I want you to know about this and And that's how I met Rachel. It was that Sunday morning, and I still can't remember what she said because she said it so fast. I said, Rachel, I'm from New York. I talk fast. I don't listen fast anymore. <laughs> so, so slow down, um, and uh, and that's how the friendship that's how the friendship blossomed. But you're so right about you. It was scary. I mean, I had cold feet. What am I doing wrong here? You know, it's one of those things, man. And it you want to bring up church and all that stuff and leadership. Remember, Jesus was scorned in his hometown. Yeah, it's trying to be the prophet around the people that you know. That's the hardest thing to do. Like I can sit here and I can talk on this podcast and people that I know will be like, oh yeah, cool, whatever. And there's not a whole lot of buy-in, but I talk to people from Canada or from across the country and it's like, you're doing awesome stuff. And it's like, yes. And it's like, eh. You know, a lot of the interactions, uh, at least I receive uh, during these trainings comes before and after the course. Oh yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and you can, you can kind of start spotting a few that want to chat with you afterwards during the training and stuff like that. And, uh, and, but there's some great interactions and honestly, they either sharing stories of uh, their connection with suicide, uh, or they're sharing their concerns about someone. Um, and that's the beauty again of this training. I just, Hey John, do you use the, 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 along with the training, uh, module comes a pre and post course little questionnaire. Have you ever had the time to, to do that? You know, sometimes I do, sometimes yeah. I don't. It's uh, not required that we do that, no. but the QPR Institute does enjoy uh, getting some feedback. And it's a it's a questionnaire. It's it, actually the same questions. You flip the piece of paper over. You know, what do you basically? What do you know about suicide? You do this before the course, and then you say, "Okay, folks, what do you think you've learned?" Okay, and they kind of grade out their knowledge pre and post uh, i've used it sometimes when you have sometimes you just simply run out of time to do it or you decide to spend more time interacting and, and conversing with various folks than you do you know sticking to the piece of paper um, but it has proven to be useful at times uh, for more than just statistical purposes you know just to kind of gauge the group's uh, uh, you know knowledge yeah um, I've found that uh, the ideal size, not that it really matters, but the ideal size is about 15. You start getting up 20, 25, it gets a little bit unwieldy. Um, but, well, that's, uh, uh, I have, that goes back to span of control. Yeah, I have. Yeah, you're right. But I have, I have pitched to that many when it's when it's when it's necessary, um, in a, in, and the venue can support it. Um, and I've done larger myself, but I've had other trainers with me. QPR Institute really promotes right. uh, for efficacy is to have um, uh, no more than 30 or 35. And if you do, you have to have other trainers there with you. Yeah. 
Uh, because, you know, like I said earlier, people, uh, it can bring up some pretty raw emotions during this training. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, we tell them up front, feel free to step outside and get some fresh air. Yeah. And sometimes they need a little bit of support too. Um, so it's the smaller groups, the better. Uh, I've actually trained, and this is uh, something I tell people that they're worried about not having enough people to come to the class if they're going to schedule this. And uh, there was one time where I had two two people there sitting there. Uh, and one of them came back to me two weeks later and said, I've intervened with two people yeah. that I thought were at risk of suicide. So, yes, I'd love to see a full class, but if you can have, if you can touch one, you know, yeah. and they make you save a life, then it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, we've said that on this podcast multiple times. Yeah. If we help just one person, then we did our job, you know, because obviously you want to, you want to help more. You want to help everybody. You bet. But if you can help that one, then maybe they can help one. Then maybe that person can help two. Then that's like I said, ripples in the pond. Exactly. And we keep talking about how they can, how the person trained can identify and rescue someone, but also, uh, the research has shown that it makes them, uh, less reluctant to engage. They're more likely to engage with someone if they see some issue yeah. and more likely to start asking questions because they're knowledgeable about it. And it also lets them talk about it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have the confidence to talk about it. When I did this one at the uh, DAV uh, Chapter 17, the Disabled American Veterans uh, Chapter 17 in Jeff City, um, it was a full house. And there was varied ages, great time, great questions during it. A week later, I came back to a breakfast event they have. It's a social just to help people engage and interact. And as I walk in this room, of probably mm, 40 people were there. A couple of them said, hey, John, hey, I love your training, your suicide prevention training. They're talking loud and openly about this in this, you know, veteran forum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they started talking, yeah, you know, and, and this part of the training was great. And this part of the training was great. And other people started listening. And I don't recall times, at least a few years back, where you won't, you wouldn't get a veteran, you know, to mm-hmm. talk publicly yeah. about suicide, suicide prevention like this. It was just like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. Well, and that's what you want. Yeah. You want it to be out in the open and not something that's just hidden. Right. Because that's part of the part of the fight and part of the stigma so i love you said fight because it is a big fight it takes a lot to do and the, the trainers we got are good uh but we gotta schedule more trains we get more people involved i need more yeah. trainers um if we haven't said it yet you know people could find uh one of our trainers here going through my website www.dmh.mo.gov yep. forward slash link. veterans and you'll have the link there yep. um and we're looking for trainers God, leave. I would love to certify more people, yep. uh, but it's not easy uh, being a trainer. I'm going to be up front with it. It is not easy. Well, there's some things, things you have to have. <laughs> yeah, there's certain skills that you have to have. And I interview yeah. them. Uh, I really, I spend some time on this and it doesn't always work out. But, you know, you, you have to, first of all, you have to believe suicide's preventable. You can't be a trainer in my team if you don't think suicide's preventable. Yeah. Uh, and we always shoot for zero. Yes. Good chance someone will die somewhere, somehow, some way, just like they plan on airplanes flying. There's yeah. a chance one will crash. Yeah. But we plan for zero. Uh, so you have to believe that suicide is preventable. You have to be military connected in some form or fashion. And that's something we dive into because I want to make sure you understand the military culture, you know, part of that cultural awareness yep. that you were talking about earlier. 
Um, you have to be a little bit mobile. You have to be able to get around town. I had one person wanted to volunteer, but they were bedridden. I love you. Great idea. I'm glad you're passionate about it. Yeah. But you may have to go somewhere to do this training, yeah, unfortunately. Just not feasible. You have to travel within your community, and you have to have compassion. You have to have empathy. Um, and you have to be well enough uh, emotionally, mentally, mm-hmm. uh, to be, be a trainer. You're going to have people share their stories. Very heart-wrenching personal stories of suicide. And sometimes they're descriptive and detailed and I kind of do some ninja stuff to make them, you know, not share all the details. Yeah. Um, but it's raw and it's personal and you just have to be able to listen and uh, engage them and make sure they're well before they leave your site. So, uh, it's a lot, but if people are interested, uh, they can reach me. You're going to have the link there. My email's on there as well. Okay. Reach out to me. I'd love to, I'd love to expand the amount of trainers we have. Would love to do it. Cool. Well, I want to rewind a second before I let you go and get a little background about you. I know Uh-oh. we kind of touched on it a yeah. little bit, but how did you end up in the job that you're in now? <laughs> yeah. Because I know, you know, you talked about you were a first sergeant in the infantry. Yeah. I've and... been asking that for, what, about six <laughs> yeah. or seven years? It's, uh, it's a road not too often traveled, I would imagine. Uh, so, look, I was, uh, if I can go back just a couple of minutes, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, as a little kid, um, I think I was a pretty good kid overall, but I was dabbling in things that you do on the streets of Southern California. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Experimenting with stuff and doing things that, you know, probably shouldn't have done. I ended up in, uh, inpatient rehab. I went through the ER one night of, uh, overdosing, uh, woke up in inpatient rehab as a teenager. Um, and that started my journey with behavioral health issues. I didn't realize I was having issues, but I didn't. Um, ended up dropping out of school for a while, did my own thing and, uh, finished high school and I was kind of bored. I was a young heavy metal kid, hair down to hair, looked like Eddie Van Halen. (laughs) I still play guitar, just not as good as him. Uh, who knew? Yeah. And then I was going to join the national guard so I can get a couple of dollars in my pocket. And uh, when I went to sign up for the guard, um, they said, you know, we're going to cut your hair. And I said, well, if you're going to cut it, I might as well go full time. Uh, So I did. And that's literally what got me into going full time active military service because I didn't want to be in the neighborhood without my due. So it was important to me. Totally reasonable, logical explanation and thought process. Man, that's a visual. That's a visual. I don't think I can handle. I'll share a picture. Oh uh, no, 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 no! Please, I, uh, we won't put it in the description. No, please, oh my <laughs> God. God, it'll be right. That's right here now. <laughs> so then, uh, you know, years of uh, being Army Infantry, you know, I was going to do four at first and get the GI Bill and you know go back and earn money, but uh, we ended up doing uh, Kuwait, and um, I just loved the mission. I loved uh, being out there on the line with uh, my fellow infantrymen, doing the deed. Uh, We ended up doing a lot of refugee work, too. And just to see the faces on the people that we were moving around, sometimes frustrating. But overall, knowing that, you know, these people have nothing and we're moving them to somewhere to be safe again, uh, it really filled my heart. And it was because of that I decided to stay in. And uh, multiple deployments later... Um, had some experiences at times, uh, you know, you lose some troops at times, um, various in garrison while not in garrison on deployment, you know, 
different things, you come in contact with it. And suicides haven't been in my unit per se, my specific company, uh, but there were sister companies, or they had soldiers that uh, had died by suicide. And it didn't really connect the dots to me because I was just an infantry hardhead uh, grunt, you know, playing with crayon still, trying to taste which flavor I liked the most. <laughs> and um, and then I ended up um, going on, uh, we did the ground assault in Iraq, you know, high-intensity conflict. Um, lots of things happened, a lot of experiences there. And I don't think I processed it that well. Um, a lot of the unit uh, came back were under medication, psychotropics and stuff like that. Um, I was on some antidepressants for a while just because I couldn't sleep. Every time I closed my eyes, everything would start running 100 miles an hour. Hmm. Uh, so it took a while to fix. And, uh, yeah, it took a while to fix. And a little bit of counseling, too, a little talk therapy. Um, so that took a bit. But I, was, I shook it off, and I'm ready to go. Uh, I got injured before our next deployment to Iraq. It was spine injury. Um, wasn't quite healed from surgery, and the unit was deploying. And they were going to leave me back on what's called rear detachment. And that's where you take care of the families, mm-hmm. send the unit stuff if they need it, yeah. send the newbies out to them. Yeah. And I was an infantry first sergeant. It's like, there's no way I'm staying back here. And I expressed that in words that we won't use today. Uh, so <laughs> I, I deployed. <laughs> I deployed when I was still recovering from spine surgery and chewing on pain medication. So and that's a recipe for uh, healthy. So there deployment. I was. Yeah, there I was, and I spent the vast majority of deployment uh, chewing on pain medication, thinking that I just wasn't healing because I'm wearing you know full kit at times and mm-hmm. you know out there, and uh, and then I lost some troops. Uh, that was the first time I, I lost troops. And they weren't, I wasn't with them. They were troops that were assigned to other units doing stuff, like medics and stuff like that. And they were, mm-hmm. um, so. But they I, were yours. They were mine. Yeah. When we go back home, I'm supposed to bring them with me. Yeah. And so that was uh, a pretty tough thing for me to accept. And in my brain, you know, after talking with some some people smarter than me, uh, I always associated past deployments um, with me being there, no one getting hurt, so we come home. Mm-hmm. And on this last deployment, I was broken. I was chewing on meds, and uh, I was called what's a fobbit is the term. It's like a <laughs> hobbit, but yeah. you stay on the fob, yeah. the forward operating base. And then my troops died, and I wasn't there. Uh, and so I honestly... In my mind, you know, the brain does what it does. Yeah, and it's your fault automatically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so it uh, it took some. It took. Uh, I went five days while in Iraq uh, to get some inpatient treatment with the combat stress team. We talked some stuff. Come to find out, helicopters were were triggering me for a while because uh, we, you know, we when we lost somebody just to save lives, we would fly them out in a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just. And my brain was thinking subconsciously, oh, there's another helicopter. That means someone else passed away. Yeah. And it was a lot to process. So that took a while to get over and uh, took some treatment, took some drugs again to get over it, uh, got rid of the pain medications, thank goodness. Uh, so with all that experience, I started learning more and more about behavioral health and mental health. That didn't get me into DMH, but it gave me some experience and a little bit of knowledge about this stuff. And I, too, was afraid to talk about it and share it. And, and I should have been sharing this with my troops, and I didn't know that at the time. Um, 
ended up leaving the service. I was assigned to Missouri here, teaching at ROTC at Lincoln University, um, teaching cadets to be future officers. And I retired there, went to school there, got my degree, my business degree. And as I was getting my business degree, I really wanted to focus on uh, small businesses. I wanted to be a one-stop shop. <laughs> Everyone wants to be a one-stop shop. Yeah. But I wanted to help small businesses. I wanted to build a business plan, a marketing plan, create a website, uh, you know, do all that stuff. Just come to me. I want to help you because I know small businesses are the cornerstone of our economy. And as I was doing some work in the computer information systems, doing web design and stuff like that, uh, Department of Mental Health had a summer internship for coding. And I said, man, let me do that. Let me get some coding in during the summer so I can get smarter. I went there, and yes, I was much older than the rest of the people applying, which I was okay with. I knew that was going to happen. But as they were interviewing me, they said, hey, look, your leadership background, uh, you got some degrees going on. I want you to be a project manager here at Departmental Health in our IT section. And I said, well, that sounds cool, but I really want to do, you know, businesses and stuff. But uh, that sounds pretty cool. Let me do it. Um, come to find out I was too high, that the job position was too high in the merit system to let me in at the time. So they could not offer me that job after I thought I had a job. Yeah. Uh, but the director, uh, at the time of the departmental health itself, and this is all through the IT section. I was doing this. Um, they were talking about me to the director of departmental health and his name was Keith Schaefer. He's probably one of the smartest men I'll ever meet in my life. Uh, in the world of behavior health, he's known nationally. Uh, he was a great leader. Uh, he asked for to meet, and we had lunch. And he said, hey, I heard you couldn't get that job, but unfortunately, um, I don't think we're doing much for veterans in the state of Missouri at the Departmental Health, and I want some help with this. And I said, hey, that sounds great. You know, I mean, I understand some resources. I've had some stuff. I wasn't sharing that with him at the time, but in my brain I was thinking, yeah, I know about behavioral health and I know about suicide and you know, let's, let's do some of this. I get it. I love it. Uh, but then I was like, oh, man, wait a second. Hey. Now you're going to have to talk about we it. We got a problem because, Keith, you know, um, I'd love to do it, but I have some background in mental health issues and substance use and – is that going to be a problem? And he says, that's exactly what we want. We want someone that has some experience, uh, that can talk about it, that understands the issues, uh, and can engage, you know, and, and work on this, these problems and help us develop programs. So I was so fortunate in that, that he took that weight off my shoulder and let me, let me be able to talk about it. And because of that experience, I ended up becoming a certified peer specialist so I can use my uh, recovery story to help other people stay engaged in recovery as well. Now, I more do that kind of skill set when I'm engaging in outreach and stuff like that. I don't work yeah. in a community mental health center and do that stuff with others. But it, it was a long story, but it's not a typical journey of getting into this job. And because of his insight, uh, Keith Schaefer, um, we actually made this a permanent position at Department of Health. I created this position. Nice. Yeah, it is. It is very well, cool. I think it's a needed position, and you probably need about fifteen more people yeah. underneath you. <laughs> yeah, but you you just you just opened up something else. I don't want John to forget, and that is the uh, uh, you you recently put a piece up on social media about the uh, uh, the amount of programs within the governor's campaign. I don't want to leave here this afternoon without touching on 
Oh, yeah. So have you heard about the Missouri Governor's Challenge? I have not. All right. How are you doing on time, my friend? Um, let me see. Yeah, I know you got another I thing got, coming up. Yeah, I got time. Okay. We got time. So I would tell you, and I'm terrible with dates, so I brought a little cheat sheet. I'm terrible with numbers. And my wife will remind me several times when Valentine's Day is <laughs> because I'm terrible with that. Uh, oh, my golly. Oh, yeah. That's coming up. Yeah. That's that's... So the Missouri, uh, Missouri Governor's Challenge team, there was a um, an initiative that was launched by both the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs and the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, and it created the uh, Mayor and Governor Challenge teams. And what it's trying to do is it provides technical assistance while creating teams in these communities with uh, government uh, and local community efforts to help prevent suicide uh, for service members, veterans, and their families. We signed up for this. Missouri did. And I'm lucky enough to be the co-lead for that. I co-lead that with the governor's office. Uh, uh, great state team that we have here. Um, I think it's just because I'm sitting here, I can't remember, 19 uh, different federal, state, and community partners uh, multiple state agencies are in there, community partners as well. Three different VA representatives are part of this as well. And um, we all are working on implementing uh, policies and practices in the state of Missouri to help prevent suicide for us. And we just launched our webpage last week, uh, which was very exciting, uh, well-received. Governor's office did a great job with the press release. It's gained a lot of traction. On the website, uh, we're raising awareness about the issue of suicide. We got some stats in there, some facts, not just fake news, uh, yeah, but yeah. some real stats that we got from the Department of Veteran Affairs and other agencies as well. Uh, so we want to raise awareness about the issue. We also use that website to um, kind of challenge people. We give them three, three steps they can do uh, to help prevent suicide. And that's really the big thing in this is um, we all have to help prevent suicide. It's not just on one person's shoulder. So we really encourage all Missourians uh, to help prevent suicide. And we do this through three separate ways. Uh, one, you have to learn about how to prevent suicide. So we talked about Missouri Veteran Suicide Prevention Team and the training they offer here. We also offer an online course that's uh, embedded in the webpage itself, free, no cost. It's just a great way to learn about the warning signs and clues and how to engage with someone. And that course is called SAVE. It's from the Department of Veteran Affairs. Veteran Affairs right. Yeah, and they did a online version of this, but all the VA medical centers offer that training in person in the communities. Uh, the second thing we asked them to do is look at our safety plan video. Um, a safety plan, have you heard about a safety plan? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar. Uh, thank yeah. you, buddy. Just want to make sure. <laughs> Normally people say no. Yeah. Um, well, ex explain it to the viewers who may not know, but, right. you know, I am married to a therapist, so I there know about go. safety plans. <laughs> Perfect. So a safety plan is uh, a set of coping skills people can use to help keep them from increasing the risk of suicide or suicidal thoughts. Uh, ideally, when people go to a clinical setting for suicidal thoughts or maybe survive a suicide attempt, clinician will sit down with them, help give them, help fill this out with them so they have some healthy coping skills coming out of there. Um, and we train people on how to recognize and get someone to care, but we don't really talk a little bit about what happens when they come home. And the safety plan video talks about that. How can I support someone, like say if Rich had a safety plan and he came back from a clinical setting, how can I support him in his safety plan? Mm -hmm. uh, video starts off with the governor giving a great pitch about the importance of it. And then we dive into the different sections of uh, the safety plan. And so people understand it, what their role is, how they can support somebody. Uh, that's a great video. And then the last thing that we ask people to do on there is uh, stay connected with the Missouri Governor's Challenge team on our social medias. 
stay informed, get uh, information about wellness activities, uh, prevention activities, or the issue itself. And we have Facebook and Twitter at MoGovChallenge. So we encourage people to go on there and stay connected as well. The site's got some other good resources. Uh, hopefully people reach out there too and uh, really give it a good look. It's it's very informative. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to include that link on cool. all of the stuff that I post. So Appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's been enlightening. I appreciate so. your time. I appreciate you driving all the way up from Jeff City. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with the wind today. <laughs> oh, that wind. But that's what he's got the budget for, remember? He said, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tens of dollars. Tens now. of dollars. <laughs> like my tens of viewers. That's right. <laughs> Rich, thanks for coming. Jeremy, Appreciate good. it. Thanks for having me again. Do um, you guys have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? No, I mean, John John just John just put it very well in his summary about the governor's challenge. It's uh, anything we can do to raise awareness, raise awareness, having folks engage with other folks to give them hope. Right. It's all about giving somebody hope. Okay. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. 99 times out of a hundred, if not a hundred times out of a hundred. So give somebody hope to say that there's no reason to take that final solution for, for a problem that really in reality in comparison may be significant for a time, but not significant forever, where suicide is forever. Yeah. So it's all about reaching reaching out and reaching out and giving hope. And we can, uh, you know me well enough to know that I'm calmer right now than I usually am, although I am very passionate. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, 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 very passionate about this. And uh, I, uh, in fact, it was Rachel who, uh, who invited me to that first training. I had kind of blown past it on a web posting or something she said I, I know you know about this why haven't you know you signed up so it was rachel that poked me and reminded me about it i had met john uh, a couple of years before doing some uh, symposiums that we did for the legal foundation downtown so i knew john i said oh that's that sabala guy ah yeah okay now it's now it's all connecting um and so i can uh uh, I can get rather passionate about this stuff, and um, again, having uh, having dealt with it, uh, you know, myself, I know the devastation it can cause. Uh, and so, if we can save lives, we're doing more than the Lord's work. Believe me. So, I would ask that everyone get engaged in suicide prevention. It's everyone's job, everybody, everyone's job. role. We all have a part to play in it. And even if you're not sure, uh, know that anyone can call nine eight eight, which is our suicide and crisis lifeline. And it's not just for suicide, it's for behavior health issues, substance use issues, mental health issues, 988. Uh, Missouri Network is strong and doing great. So please uh, spread the word. Thanks. Thanks. All right, guys. Um, thanks for stopping by. Uh, thanks to John and Rich. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate it so much. Um, and yeah, if you know somebody that's struggling, like you said, reach out. It's everybody's responsibility. Um, and if you are struggling reach out there are resources out there so yeah appreciate it have a good time or have a good day and uh we'll see you next time